Fuck pain. Fuck heartbreak. I'm still in love with life. From the multicultural headquarters of the future capital of the free-thinking state of America known as Los Angeles, this is the Drunken Dows Podcast. Tonight, it's interview time again, as author, YouTuber, and lifelong martial artist David Christian joins us for a long-delayed conversation, including, let's stop being stupid and borrow from competing ideas. Life is like living on top of a volcano. You never know when it's going up. Eye pokes, willy pep, and there's some magic that just can't be taught. Here we go. And now, asking you all to spread the words that corporations are not persons, I'm Rich Evers. And my partner in crime, the savage philosopher and middle finger of the gods, Daniele Bolelli. As we invite you to lower the lights, Batten down the hatches and prepare to open your mind for the Drunken Dows podcast begins now. Today I get to chat with David Christian from the Modern Martial Artist YouTube channel. You can check out some of his stuff at modernmartialartist.com. Now, I can already hear the sound of the stop button being clicked by a whole lot of people who could not care less about martial arts. If I may induce you to stick around a little bit longer you may be pleasantly surprised because while we do mention some martial arts stuff especially at the beginning the bulk of the conversation is more really about life it's somewhat more philosophical in nature than just for martial arts nerds so stick around because this was actually a really fun episode Having said that, let me before we get going let me say a couple of thank yous to some sweet sweet folks Starting with, I mean, technically, we don't really have sponsors. We uh, we just have some folks who have been super sweet in donating their products to us. So here we go with some of them. Let's go with uh, grasslandbeef.com that has uh, fed me and Rich on multiple occasions with some fantastic stuff. So check out grasslandbeef.com if you are interested in such thing. And I would strongly suggest that you can be. There's a incredible selection there quality is phenomenal i can attest to that so check them out grasslandbeef.com also thank you to sure design for providing us with the awesome t-shirts that we use for the drunken taoist also you can check out their own t-shirt and their own designs at shoredesigntshirts.com of course big thank you to zebra athletics I have a homemade dojo with these phenomenal mats that are in my garage right now. And that is thank you to zebraathletics.com. So if you want to set up your home gym, they may be your first destination to check out. Last but not least, I want to say a big thank you to not one, but two different wineries in Napa Valley, California. Uh, These guys help us keep the drunken in the drunken Taoist specifically Aum Winery. These guys have been great to us. They've been sending us their wines for quite a long time. Right now you can't even get their wines. It's on a waiting list. But if you want to check out their website, it's aumcellars.com. And a new one, some guys who more recently joined into keeping the drunken into the drunken Taoist have been from materrawines.com. 
super incredible good quality if you want to check them out materrawines.com uh, other folks that deserve a big thank you are the sweet souls who have been donating to us so let me go try to pronounce maybe a big word so let me try to do what i can with their names let the pottering begin let's say a big thank you to nick zunik lisa robles brian nochey Oh, Brian, I'm sorry, man, your last name. I have no idea how to pronounce it. Gregory Richmond, Thomas Robinson, Aistis Giusca, Nicola Togni, Samuele Rudelli, Jim D'Amico, a couple of very nice anonymous folks, uh, Froggy Style Production, Lane Raper, uh, Ray Cole, Jesse Rantacangas, Yanni Linnima, Luis Peschera, Clayton Payne, Aaron Weisner, Christopher Parcel, Stephen McKee, Jonathan Waterloo, Ross Cranham, and Gemma Taylor. You guys are fantastic. Thank you so much for supporting us. If you want to join this brave band of heroes, you can go uh, to paypal.me forward slash dbolelli. Again, that's paypal.me forward slash dbolelli. And send us whatever you want. It's always appreciated. Other way to support us that doesn't involve you parting with your money is to use the link dbamazing.com. Again, the letter D, the letter B, the word amazing.com. For, and that will automatically take you to Amazon. And whatever you get from there, Amazon will give us a small cut. So if you can please use that link, if you ever use Amazon, that would be sweet. dbamazing.com Now, without, without further ado, let's get into business. Okay, here we go. Let's roll. David, thank you so much for hopping on the Drunken Taoist podcast. It's, uh, it's been a bit of a journey. I'm, like, I'm mildly afraid that there may be a meteor about to strike Earth right <laughs> now because the first time we said, uh, let's meet up to record the podcast, that week COVID hits and they started the lockdowns. Yeah, I think we caused it actually. Yeah, I yeah. think so. And then, you know, there'll be like a serious a string of drama going on with us trying to record that has been, uh, yeah, I'm looking over my shoulders as we speak, worried that ninja assassins are about to strike or something because it's, uh, but here we are. We finally made it happen. What? Yeah. Eight months later, something like that. <laughs> no, I'm, a, I'm excited to talk to you. Um, I was surprised you reposted uh, my video. That was um, one of the first instances uh, in my career, if you want to look at it like a career, when someone that um, I uh, was a fan of actually posted my work. So that was, a, that <laughs> was an awesome. interesting experience. Yeah. Um, I love when it works out that way. No, which yeah, one was it's, it? It's Do great. you remember which, which video it was? It was, I think, my second Willie Pep video. Oh, yeah, your Willy Pep videos are fantastic. That guy, that guy was such guys, a super genius. Like, yeah, like if his you footwork have, is insane. Yeah, if you guys have even the most remote interest in combat sports, check out 
David's video on Willie Pep because it's poetry in motion. You know, the way Willie Pep moved, his footwork is so phenomenal. And I love the way you break it down because you really show exactly what is, you know, if you just look at it without knowing what's up, you just are mesmerized by this magician, but you can't quite figure out what's happening. The way mm. you break it down on the other end, you show exactly what he's doing in a way that you can almost teach those techniques from the, like you can pause the video and go try them and learn them that way because they are brilliant. It's, um, it's, it's going back to kind of what, um, by the way, if I say the word Taoist with a T, I know no one does that anymore. I might occasionally do that sometimes. I don't um, care. I switch back and forth. Okay, perfect. Plus, I pronounce everything wrong, so it doesn't even matter. You have an excuse, though. I don't have, I don't have an excuse. Um, but if that was the only word I have a problem with, we would be, I would be in, in a oh, good place. People have gotten on me for names, man. I'm, <laughs> I'm I, sure. I, I, became, I became paranoid about it. Um, but the, th the thing about Pep, though, is... Uh, I, I try to break things down in, in like definable sequences and as simplistic as possibly so everyone understands it. But I kind of feel in doing that, I, I take away some of what actually happened, kind of like the, the Taoist spirit of it. Because mm -hmm. if you look at someone like Pep, it's, um, it goes back to what you were talking about in, in your lectures about the childlike mind, right? Mm -hmm. um, he started out, I'm guessing, with all the fundamentals. You know, he did sure. everything his first couple of months, I'm sure exactly how his coach taught him. And then he dared to kind of try some shit that shouldn't have worked. Yep. That, that should never have worked in a million years. But because he had all that knowledge and expertise from all his years of training, yep. it, it, it did. And it goes back to, to Bruce Lee's, um, you know, uh, for, before I started the art and, I, you know, I, I threw a strike. I didn't know what the hell it was. Then I got mm -hmm. super into it. And then a strike was way more than a strike. It had all right. these things. And then eventually a, a, a strike just becomes a strike again. That's the classic Taoist parable, right? Where you mm -hmm. start and you have, you know, at the initial stage, there's some beauty to it because you're spontaneous. There's an instinct there that there's something valuable. But of course, you also have ignorance. And so you need to develop yourself. When you learn stuff, now you are this nerd who knows 10,000 things and all the seven reasons why the elbow should be at 37 degrees and not 45 and whatever. Mm. But you get so stuck in your head that it no longer flows. And then real master is when you can absorb, you know, you learned all the fundamentals, you learned all the rules and you kind of forget them because you master them and they become part of you and you're free to experiment and be spontaneous again. Um, although, although that could make it kind of hard to teach sometimes. Oh yeah, I've sure seen I've seen I've seen that some brilliant fighters who can't teach worth a damn because they yep. forgot what they forgot everything, which is what Absolutely. they were supposed to do. You yeah. know, for them, they just can't teach it anymore. Yeah, it's tricky because um, there are things. I mean, I notice even with the stuff I do sometimes. It's funny. I remember sparring with my boxing coach, and he was saying, "Man, this is so weird. Every time you throw a good punch, it never lands." Because I've seen, you know, it's a good punch, but I've seen 10,000 other people throw the punch faster and harder. So yeah, it's a good punch, but whatever. I've seen it. But when you throw some really ugly punch that come from these weird angles that I've never seen, you hit me every time. And I was like, <laughs> there, there, there's something to that. <laughs> there's, a, there's an interest. Of course, you want to know how to box correctly, like in anything else. You want to know how to do it the quote-unquote right way. Mm -hmm. But there's something to be able in that Bruce Lee methodology, add what is specifically your own, you know, is uh, the fourth element in this uh, 
in his four steps to knowledge, you know, it's like research mm-hmm. your own experience, you know, basic scientific thing. You need to research what's out there, absorb what is useful, reject what is useful, useless. So, you know, you separate the good stuff from the bad stuff, mm-hmm. but it doesn't stop there. Then there's that add what is specifically your own, right? So yeah, that's the hard, that's the hard that part. Makes it your style. Yeah, yeah, that's that's the hard part because and, and everyone, everyone's done everything you think, and then a genius comes along, and you're like, "Whoa!" And it seems simple. Yep. How did yep, I never yep, think yep. of that? That's always the question you ask. How did I never ever think of that? It's so simple. And that's, I think, is what's brilliant about the YouTube channel that you have that you really zero in on different people's styles, and you really it's like watching different sports. And mm-hmm. it's not, it's the same sport, but like each guy has their own little tweak on how they do things. So it's like uh, you learn a different language in the process. You look at it and it's like, yeah, it's still in theory is the same language, but then the way they express themselves is so completely different that it's like relearning it all. And, uh, and that's kind of what I love about the idea that you had for you, your YouTube channel is that you really allow people to, have a deeper understanding of what they are seeing. Because everybody can kind of understand, oh, okay, this guy moved different from the other one. You know, they are both boxer or they are both kickboxer or they are both MMA guys. But I can see that there's a difference there. But when you really break it down the way you do, then you, you actually understand why they look different, what it is that they do differently. And it's, it's awesome. I mean, for a martial art nerd like me, that's like <laughs> Christmas, Christmas morning right there. No, I'm, I'm sure you feel the same way you do about your podcast. I can't believe I, I get to do this for a living. But because, um, you know, I'm, ju- I'm just a martial arts nerd um, who, who's loved this mm-hmm. stuff since he was five. And then I get, you know, I get to just show people. But, but to, to your points, though, um, I, I, I definitely wanted to talk about this, about um, how it's almost like different styles and everyone brings their, bringing your own unique mm-hmm. feel to it, right? Um, it, it's just like a funny experience I had. And it's, it's actually kind of what um, really helped to progress, uh, to progress as a martial artist. And is that people really disagree, like heavily disagree about what Jeet Kune Do is. And if you're not a Bruce sure. Lee, if you're not a Bruce Lee fan, this is, uh, this is a very common thing to where half the people say um, that Jeet Kune Do is all martial arts. It's whatever you want it to mm-hmm. be. It's using, it's a, it's a number of principles. And then half the people say, no, sure. Bruce Lee researched extensively what works best in a fight. Look at, and, uh, and I'm always saying myself, look at John Jones. He took uh, all the three um, Bruce Lee strikes that Bruce Lee said was the most essential from long range, the sidekick to the knee, what's been called the oblique kick to the knee, and then uh, the eye poke, which you're not supposed to do in the UFC. Mm-hmm. But Jones no. does it all the time. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but he sure does it. Yeah, yes. yeah. And and um, yeah, it's sort of there's a Taoist thing in that debate as well. Because no, that's what that's what exactly saying, what I was going to say. That's exactly what right. I was going to say. Um, Go with it, please. It just just yeah. Uh, what's funny is I got a personal experience with it because Bruce Lee authorized two people to teach. Right, he authorized Dan and Asanto. Mm-hmm. Um, everyone knows knows uh, Dan, and then um, Ted Wong was the second person. And then what's funny is they both split these ideologies perfectly. Dan Asanto is, is saying um, it's an evolving sport. I'm going to put my Filipino martial arts in it because that's what I want to do. Yep. This is my version. 
And then Ted Wong, um, who I trained, I trained with his nephew in San Francisco, uh, was all about, um, although sadly I never got to meet uh, Wong, uh, but his nephew and that entire mm-hmm. lineage is all about the exact technique. And the point you were alluding to, and, and I think we agree on, is that both sides are right at the same time, even though they're completely sure. opposite yep. ideals. Um, and that, when I was listening to your Absolutely. lectures, that really spoke to me about the duality of both things being correct at the exact same time. Um, like, like Lee said, I abhor systems, but without systems, what, what to teach? And so I think it's, it, it fundamentally comes down to, with your point towards my channel, there are a million ways to do things. There are things that work and things that don't normally, but, you, but once you have to learn those ways first, you can't just decide you're going to be a yeah. prodigy and jump in and start dodging a million punches. It doesn't work like that. But at the same time, you have to add your own individuality and make, make it your own. Yeah, and I think that's where people get stuck in a dogmatic fight about the way what, like case in point, JKD, but you know, I'm sure you guys can think of 10,000 other examples about life, things that have nothing to do with martial arts, mm-hmm. where people get stuck with an idea of like, this means X. No, how can you say this? This means Y. And they argue about it when in reality, you can kind of see it both ways because the reality of Jack Kondo is that, yes, of course, it's a philosophical principle. And Bruce mm-hmm. Lee is extremely explicitly about it. He's saying it's a constant process of transformation and discovery. And, you know, what he was doing in 1965 was different from 1970. So to try to assume that it's this fixed style, fixed styles were exactly what he hated. So no, exactly. it's not. Yes. It seems almost self-evident. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, there's also a point that it's not, you cannot just take anything and say JKD because Lee ultimately did come up with some ideas that sure he would have changed over time. Yes, he would, Most but likely. there, were, there yeah. was a base there that yes. made his style that you recognize if you look at it. It's like that's the Bruce Lee kind of insight. So, what's wrong with both? You know, that's kind of what I always feel when there's that question do you prefer these or that? It's like, how about I take the best from both points of view and mix them together into my own thing? What's wrong with that methodology, you know? Mm-hmm. And it seems, um, why do you think that's so rare? And obviously not just in martial arts, it's so rare in everything, right? People seem to really not have an easy time with what seemingly would be the easiest answer of all. I think because they tie, they tie their identities to it. Mm-hmm. I think it's because they tie their identity um to to the thing i've like I, I guess the best example of this is sports and politics politics has recently in america become like sports um to where you root for your team no matter what the hell is going on or what what's you know what the other guy says um and no you don't agree with the call the ref made even though the video replay shows that it was correct um so I think it's it's to where like you know if you if you grow up and you're a Lakers fan my yeah and you're like my dad was a Lakers fan my granddad was a Lakers fan my whole family's a Lakers fan I you tie yourself to that team and I think once you get tied to a certain team it's very very difficult to ever see the other person's point of view to to kind of work out what is reality mm-hmm. and and what's false and even if you do I think you're gonna feel some some amount of, uh, of, of shame towards it. There, there are, to, to give an idea of how deeply embedded it is, there, were, there are some uh, religious ideals I learned when I was a small, small child that I don't agree with anymore. But if I speak against mm-hmm. them, I still feel a little bit of shame 
I feel naughty. Something's gonna <laughs> something's gonna happen to me. Right. Yeah. You know, I'm gonna be struck by lightning. Of course. Yeah, no, I think you nailed it. When you say identity, I think that's such a central component of what human beings are craving all the time. Mm-hmm. And the way I see it is, though the universe is a complicated place. It's a scary place. It's a place where there are very few certainties. We don't know crap about so much of our existence. We don't know if there's any life after that or not. We don't know if things happen for a reason or it's all random chaos. We don't know. You know, there's so much that we feel powerless about. You know, so Mm. many things happen to us and we have no say-so whatsoever in what happens. So the universe is a scary place. Needless to say, humans crave reassurance of one kind or another. Mm -hmm. And an identity which if you push it just a little bit more, you can say a dogma, is very reassuring because it's telling you this is the filter through which you will perceive all of reality. We got all the answers. This is why things happen. This is the solution to it all. This is what we do when bad things happen. This is applied to combat and martial arts. It's like, here are the principles that we always follow no matter what. And you can build your identity, you can build a sense of why do we want that identity? Because it makes you feel good. It makes you feel safe. It makes you feel part of this greater group that all believe the same thing. So they can't all be wrong, right? Mm -hmm. And so it really, I think it caters to psychological insecurities that we all have, but it would be nice to recognize it and then grow from there and accept that like, okay, it's very understandable why we do it. Can we stop being stupid about it, though? Can we instead <laughs> look at it a little more flexible and borrow the best from multiple systems, borrow the best from competing ideas? Competing ideas don't have to be, you know, God and the devil. Competing ideas can be yin and yang, where they can work with one another, not as in this opposition, like the traditional Western thing of God versus the devil kind of thing, you know? <laughs> um, Yin-yang is such a better way of conceiving of duality. Because it's more the way real life is, right? Where you can combine things. I would prefer if like, life was like a machine where you put in hard work and out comes prosperity. Mm-hmm. You know? But it's, it's not like that. That would and, be nice. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one of the things I wanted to, yeah. pay, to pick your brain about. Um, we're all, like every human being is basically like, it's almost like we're living on top of a volcano. And now if you, if you have a, if you Mm -hmm. have a, if you have an animal brain, then you're fine. You could live on the, if you know, if you're a chipmunk or whatever in a tree on the volcano, you could live your entire life, not worrying about that volcano. You don't know what's coming. People on the other hand, we, we start off with the the biggest volcano of all, which is like, we know we're going to die one day. We don't know how we don't Mm -hmm. know when, but, but then we're asked, we're asked to be happy while we're living on this volcano that we know is going to blow. And, and, and the, the idea is to just make the best out of it, um, regardless of the situation, until the volcano blows, which uh, that's what I wanted to pick your brain about because uh, Taoism has helped me with a, a number of things. But as far as that existential anxiety or anxiety towards more immediate threats, I see some, some people able to just chill the hell out and 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 they have their acceptance and they're fine and i've never been able to to do that like a like a, a taoist master might yeah i hate them with a passion because it's hard because <laughs> i don't have that right so, so when i look at somebody who can master that i'm like you 
bastard. Right? Yeah. You. How do you? Because I don't get it, you know? And this is what's weird. Either. I've had moments. Yeah, I'm having a moment right now, for example, in the last few weeks where normally, normally death disturbed me a lot. I find mm. a whole existential anxiety, a fairly present thing in my life all the time. Mm. Last few weeks, probably because my father died. And so that kind of moved my, some my condolences stuff in, for that. in a way. Thank you. Much appreciated. But yeah, that I think is weird because I was thinking about it the other day. It's like, why do I not feel existential anxiety now? And what has changed? Did I understand something I didn't understand earlier? No, I, I, I would. I would you think know, it'd be the opposite. There's nothing that I can... In which way? Oh, like like you've you've seen evidence that your own exi- one of the closest people to you has has um you know taken their journey and you see evidence that that's mm-hmm. going to happen to you, um but you're saying you sure. found some kind of relief in it um and I, I've had similar situations but I was never able to wrap my head around why that should comfort me in some way or 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 not comfort but but kind of uh, make make the fear go away. I'm wondering if you if you have had the time to kind of figure out why that that happened for you. Um, I'm kind of groping in the dark there, but a couple mm. of things that I'm thinking, like one of them is that in my life I've seen and experienced enough weird things, and even <laughs> when my dad died, there's definitely a couple of really weird things that happened where. It would be hard for me to say with conviction that I believe that this life is it, that Mm -hmm. I think that material plane is the only plane that is. Because I think I've had so many of these universe winking kind of moments reminding me that it's way more complex than I can even begin to imagine. And Mm. so this notion that this is it... Of course, you can never know for sure because it's not that I have empirical evidence otherwise, but I have enough little tidbits to make me think I am, if you ask me to bet, I would bet it all on the fact that there's a lot more going on than this plane of existence. Hmm. So that inevitably brings some kind of relief because you're like, okay, this is, uh," at that point, this life is an adventure. And there's a lot more. Now, being the way I'm built, I want to know what more means. I want to know exactly what the rules of the games are. I yeah. want to know what happens. <laughs> I want to know about, you know. And, and of course, that desire is inevitably frustrated. But the feeling that there's a lot more to it is one that I, I would have a very hard time dismissing. It's, uh, it's something that, you know, is the classic scientific materialist worldview. is one that just doesn't, click with everything that I've experienced. So that, for, that certainly helps. And, you know, and even when uh, my dad died, a couple of things happened that made me go, whoa, that was weird. That I cannot explain according to what I know and understand of the universe. Hmm. And, and so I think that's part of it. And also, that's the part that I can explain. And then there's something else that I can't explain where maybe... What you describe, you know, the very idea of somebody really close to you that to me has been, you know, my dad, you know, has been there since day one, has been like probably the most important person in my life for decades on end, central to my life. So the fact that it would have been impossible for me to even conceive of anything continuing without him. Mm-hmm. And so instead being in this place, experiencing life, even enjoying life, doing this without him, 
I don't know. There's a feeling to me that makes me feel like, like I don't feel him at a deep level gone. I don't know why though, because it's not that I have, you know, nightly apparition where he comes and in like Lion King style, whispering through the wind and telling me, my child, this is what's going on. You know, I, I'm not getting that, but I, so it's very hard to describe because it's not something I can really put my finger on, but I do have a feeling of presence in some way. And, um, and again, who knows, maybe three months from now, it all changes and who knows. But right now I was thinking about it because it's like, did I understand anything different? Can I explain it to somebody else? Why could I have a talk with myself super anxious about existential issue from a few months ago today and say, oh, wait, you're missing this piece of information. No, all the pieces of information, I had them before, but before I was anxious and now I'm not. And I can't quite... You know, there's that Zen story that in some way is not an explanation, of course, because there is none, but it's that Zen koan about um, there's a live duck inside of a bottle. You want to get the duck out without killing it and without breaking the bottle. How are you going to do it? And of course, there is no logical solution whatsoever. You can't. That's just yeah. not going to happen, plain and simple. And then the Zen uh, answer is it's already out. And he's like, what do you mean it's already out? No, it's in. You just told me that it's in. And there's something there where sometimes something click and what seemed like an impossible problem before, you haven't really found the solution, but it's suddenly it's solved. There is the problem. It's like it wasn't even there to begin with. And, and you're missing two steps in between. It's like what caused that shift? What caused that transformation? Mm-hmm. I have no idea, but it happens. And so... Uh, of course, that doesn't help a whole lot because it's not exactly an empowering thought because you can't force it. You can't make it happen. You know, it's like when it does happen, you go like, whoa, that was cool. But yeah. you have really no control over it. It's something that's kind of beyond words. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I don't know if even like in Western traditions, maybe that's the kind of stuff that they refer to when they speak of grace, you know, where there's something that clicks where your life is transformed. Even though technically nothing is transformed, you know, from the outside looking in, nothing is different. But hmm. um, I don't know. It's a trippy thing. That's the, by the way, this is a very fascinating, how we can start from uh, Willie Pep, Bruce Lee, <laughs> D, and end up with the, with the meaning of life, you know? <laughs> I mean, I mean that's, that's, this, uh, that's, exactly, that's exactly what I was hoping for, man. I have very few people to talk right. with. Most people get annoyed when I start asking questions like that. Um, <laughs> they're just like, I don't know. I don't know, man. Why, why are you bugging me? I thought we're, I thought we were playing Nintendo switch right now. Just focus on, you know, right. I guess you've paired your example of the squirrel on the volcano. There's something beautiful about that. You know, when people are able to do that and not have those questions and just let me play my damn Nintendo and don't bother me. Mm-hmm. There's something that I admire. It's like, hey, if you can pull it off and you're so in the moment that you don't have this kind of mind into the future, wandering about the past, good for you. But of yeah. course, when you're not there, it's, you're not there, you're not there. You know, There's nothing you can do about it. Well, I, had, I, I wasn't going to talk about this because it sounds too weird, but fuck it. This will be interesting, uh, I hope. Um, I had I had so, like uh, I had a period in time in my life where I was um, med- like really at ease, and it came through meditation. Um, I would meditate mm-hmm. every night, and I imagined that I had lived my entire life and I was already dead. 
So I thought, I thought of it in my head as like yep. the, de the death meditation to where I, everything has uh -huh. already passed and it turned out okay. And I, I, I was able to find some solace. But the problem with that is that I started, um, I did this for like an hour to two hours every night. And I noticed that I just stopped losing a lot of things that I consider maybe human and that I really liked which is I stopped being competitive. Mm -hmm. I stopped trying to improve my life. I stopped um, reaching mm -hmm. out for, for, to new friends. And eventually I just had to pull back. And now, now I occasionally meditate, but I never, I never do that one. So I think what, what I kind of learned there is, I mean, I guess it's possible to have that peace, but I think if you have that peace, you take away some of the things that make life exciting because you're not viewing it as, as a game or a place where you could interact with people and have all these new experiences. You've just, you're just kind of waiting to die, if that makes any sense. Well, and I think that's where having the, the hand on the dial button and being able to adjust it is important. Because yeah, I'm no good at that. <laughs> when, you are, you know, when you are so into life here and now and you love it, there's something fun, but you're also, your level of anxiety is going up. Your fears are going up. Your tension mm -hmm. is going up. It's like, okay, let's dial it down a little bit. Let's go into more meditative peace space that bring the anxiety level down. And so there's probably a really narrow sweet spot where you can seriously enjoy this life without all the stress that inevitably attachment to everything in life brings. Mm -hmm. But if you go one step too much, then you become <laughs> a dead fish and you have no life. And if you become one step the other way, you're an anxious freak. Exactly. And so it's like there's that one tiny dot of a line where you can dance and play and have fun where it really works and again that is the best of both worlds it, 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 i notice it i notice it in off. my work too i know i notice it if i mm -hmm. if i'm if i'm if i'm like too anxious my stuff sucks i put out a lot of stuff if i if i'm relaxed and i'm like yeah life is great i could put out something that i think is fantastic but for whatever reason because there wasn't that pressure on me um the work turns out uh shittier than it would have even though i took all the time i wanted and did all the research and did it exactly yeah. the way i wanted to um so i think there's i think there's something to maybe maybe the negativity um is is a good thing in some ways maybe it's a, maybe it's essential for being able to to live the the life you want to live if that makes any kind of sense Absolutely. I mean, to me, that's exactly what Taoism is, right? It's that mm. art that allows you to find that sweet spot and figure out the exact right balance that works. Now, of course, in an ideal world, we would find it once and then we have it forever. But because <laughs> life is a bitch, three minutes later, <laughs> the waves have changed. Now you have to find it, you know, because that's the nature of the business, right? It doesn't stay the same. So the balance you found today doesn't apply to tomorrow and you have to refine. And of course, you know, the better you are at finding it, the easier it's going to be each time. But someday you're going to screw it up and you don't find it. And you're like, God damn it, I had it the other day. What's the problem? Why? Mm -hmm. What's the problem now? I had it. I, it felt so good. It felt so right. Why am I... And then you go back and eventually you tweak the dial again and you're like, ah, this is the sweet spot. Okay. And to me, that's what Taoism is, is finding, you know, giving you the tools, giving you the skills to know how to do it as best as we can. Hmm. No, I think, I think that's a great way to look at it. That's why I love talking about all this kind of stuff. Um, another thing I wanted to, to bring up was uh, this concept. Tell me, tell me if I'm saying it right, because you have to understand I have been flirting with Taoism 
for years and have, have used it um, in a number of ways, but I, I haven't gotten super into it uh, like you. I'm, I'm trying mm-hmm. to now. So this concept of, uh, of uh, Wu Wei, am I saying it right? Sure. Yeah. I have no idea. I'm taking a guess. You know, <laughs> Chinese is one of the most impossible languages ever. It's like you are a tiny tone off and it means completely something else. So considering how horrendously I pronounce everything, I, <laughs> I can only imagine what I do to a tone. Yeah, there, there's, there's probably some kind of like, a, you, you know, tonal shift there that we're both getting wrong. You know, it's, yep. probably, it's probably Wu Wei or so, something like that. But um, of course, of yeah, course, the, the concept like that, the the idea of doing nothing um, to, to get something mm-hmm. um, is it, just like such it's such a martial arts kind of thing that people um, people normally get get kind of wrong because they don't put in the work that comes, be, you know, before it, like we discussed before. But mm-hmm. when you see a master and they could they just turn just a centimeter. Um, that, that, that's the mm-hmm. only way, that's the only way I could really comprehend it. But even so the, the concept I, I feel is, um, is, is still pretty limited on like, how would you use that? I under, I understand how to use it in martial arts. How, how do you use this mm-hmm. in everyday life to better your life, to better the people around you's life? The key element of the concept is that you don't want to use more energy than, uh, than needed to get the job done. Because it's, uh, because it's a waste for one, but also because sometimes overdoing things can be counterproductive. You know, if you, if you water your plants too much, you kill them. It's not good for, you know, too much of a good thing is <laughs> yeah, still a bad thing, you know? <laughs> and so it's like, you know, speaking of that balance, that is about doing just enough to get the job done. Now, you can still get the job done and successfully put in more energy, that's just a waste. It's not bad. It's just a waste of energy. And then there's a place where you use so much energy that it actually is counterproductive. Mm. But, you know, the game there is figuring out, you know, people, in fact, read it. And, for example, they apply, they think they are applying Taoism to politics. And they think, oh, Taoism is advocating a completely anarchist government, one when there is no government. And I'm like, no, that's not what Taoism is saying. Taoism is saying that you want to use as little government as needed. Hmm. Now, as little as needed doesn't always mean little. You know, sometimes what you need is a lot. If in that situation you need a lot, you use a lot. If in the next situation you can use a lot less, you use a lot less. The minimum necessary to get the job done well. And that's the requirement. It's not about who cares whether it's little or lot. That's not the point. Is the job getting done well? Yes. Okay. Now, how much energy are we using for it? What's the minimum amount to make it happen? And I think that's a great skill in itself because it's, uh, it's you know, for one, if you use too much energy, you're going to burn out. It's like mm. thinking uh, um, over the career of a fighter, for example. I'm, I'm just thinking if of Mayweather this success, entire time. Right? Make yeah. perfect sense. Because yeah. if your whole career is based on speed, power, all those kind of things that go away with age, you know, by the time you're 35, you're done. You have nothing left. Mm-hmm. But there are some of those fighters who build a game that's, that's not overly explosive. It's not dependent on those things that by the nature of existence go away really quickly. And so they can keep playing that game at an extremely high level for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And, um, 
and it allows you to last. It allows you to actually keep doing, you know, if you are in a state where you are relaxed, think about, you know, when anybody who fights, anytime you, the first time you fight, you're too nervous. So you're using way too much energy just to breathe because you're so tense, right? That was, so that, like, was my first, um, <laughs> that was my first real street fight. I was shocked that, um, I, I was shocked that I um, pretty much gassed in like 15 seconds. And then yep. I got, I got like a second wind, but I was panting the entire time. Um, yep. and then the next day my muscles had tensed up so much that it felt like I just lifted a thousand pounds. Every muscle in my body was sore. Not like I'd taken a beating cause I didn't, but like I had weight lifted just, just mm -hmm. through the, my body gut, my body, I think just tensing everything to uh, extreme levels that they were not used to being tested before. And, and when you think about it, like 98% of the tension was, to, was not needed. You know, no. it's not needed <laughs> to get the job done. No. It's, uh, you know, yeah, you want to wake up. You want to make sure you're not uh, asleep when you're in the middle of a fight. So you want a little bit of adrenaline that makes you go, but just this little, you know, enough mm -hmm. to make you go and make you awake and make you ready to fire but not this humongous amount that's actually being counterproductive where suddenly all your muscles are tense, you go out of breath, you're thinking too much, your punches actually become slower because you're fighting your own mm -hmm. muscle tension to do. It's terrible. It's a crappy feeling because you know what's happening with your mind. You're like, I shouldn't be doing this, which of course only adds more tension and that it's like you never get out of that. Yeah, that's, yep. uh, that, that's mastery right there, right? Be able to use just just enough because if you don't use enough you know you see some fighters who are really sleepy they are relaxed they look you know like they are mellow but they are too relaxed it's like mm. at some point you got to engage at some point if you step into striking range and you are not throwing the other guy's gonna throw you better be ready to have a plan and to th I, th I think there's something i think there's something to that because the only the only way to gain that relaxation is through experience you can't mm -hmm. step like most people, the majority no. of people cannot step into their first sparring match, even um, not yep. even fight, but sparring match and be relaxed. It's only through hours and hours of practice and having the, Absolutely. It's, it's having the, um, it's having the courage to step in there even when you're afraid. So it's, pro it's probably the same in real life. I'd imagine like mm -hmm. if you, if you look at someone who has never taken any risks in their life and then like, maybe they read a self-help book and I'm like, they're like, I'm going to change my entire life. It's going to be yeah. way too much, way, way too quickly. But if you look at a person mm -hmm. who's been taking risks to like trying out exactly where the, you know, seeing where the fault lines are their entire yep. life, uh, they're going to be much more comfortable in almost any element of life, but it's going to be uncomfortable. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but again, it's that key of, uh, cause people get overexcited about that. Exactly. Like what you're saying. I listened to whoever Jocko Wheeling who told me to push forward and be brave. And it's like, yeah, but it's kind of like telling you you should stretch hard. Uh, mm -hmm. You yeah. should stretch just yeah, just get just get into full past. splits, buddy. We could do full splits yeah. in an hour, I promise. Yeah, right. Not and good. it's like no, that's not good for you. You want to do three millimeters past your, past your comfort zone when you're like not exactly comfortable. You are working, but you're not hurting because mm -hmm. if you go too soon, too fast, you break. Plain and simple, you know, you're just going to mess yourself up and then it's actually going to be harder to be flexible down the road. Hmm. If you don't apply enough pressure, then you never get flexible. 
So it's that process of finding that sweet spot and pushing just that one inch past the comfort zone. Not, not more and no less. Less, you're not working. More, you work too hard and you hurt yourself. Hmm. And, and the way I see it is the same in everything, right? In a discussion, you know, if you, if you approach somebody you like that you actually want to keep a good relationship with, but they have radically different ideas about something. If you just roll over for them and agree with everything, well, sure, I mean, you get along, but that's not a, it's because you're denying who you are and letting them get away with stuff. Exactly. If you are fighting them to the death on it, uh, maybe you even yell louder and get your point across, but they'll hate your guts. Mm -hmm. It's like, where's that spot where you can push them just enough to make that conversation worthwhile that makes it somebody can actually learn from it, but not so hard that you put them on the defense even now they are your enemy or not so little that there's no conversation. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, going, going back to, to fighting, it's like someone who is so aggressive, they're going to get knocked out or someone who is yep. so timid that uh, yep. they're just going to lose on points. That's, that's, you know, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's uh, when I watch fights, I'm always, it's driving me insane when I see, I mean, at least this ultra aggressive, it's dumb, but mm -hmm. you can appreciate the courage of it all. Cause yeah. uh, at least from a viewer standpoint, it's exciting. Mm -hmm. But when you look at people or even really skilled people, and I understand, you know, you're taking a break. You want to relax when you're out of striking range, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You drop your hands. Yeah. You can take 20 seconds dancing around the cage or the ring because you're just, you know, thinking through what I want to do next and relaxing. That's great. But once you step into the firing zone, once you are in striking range and you're still not initiating, to mm -hmm. me, it's like, what are you doing? You know, don't get into the firing range if you're not ready to initiate. Just my, my, pet, peeve, are... my pet peeve is guys who uh, have great head movement and then they make the guys miss three times and then they don't throw anything back. It's yeah, like, that's, that's, that's not what head movement is for. Head movement exactly. is so you can counter. And yeah, it, it yeah, kills yeah. me because the skill's there. The skill is yep. there, but the, the, they don't have the courage. You're, they're miss, that's they're what missing I, it. That's what I love, for example, about watching uh, Valentina Shevchenko. Mm. I really love her sense of distance. Oh, yeah. You know, when she's out, she's out. She's relaxed because they, they think they can hit her, but she's like two inches out of range. And so she can be pretty relaxed. And suddenly, with such a small footwork that it's hard to tell, Suddenly she's in range, and the moment she's in range, she's eating you. And then that's, she's that's out. Art. That's art. And that's phenomenal because it's like, you know, in, on the ground fighting, sure, if you are a superior wrestler and you take somebody down and you gain a dominant position, you can hit them and they can't hit you. Mm. But to do that on the feet, where they are always out of range and they are always in range. It seemed like a paradox. It's like, how is that even possible? And it's like, and again, it's that game of tiny inches where you're just outside, but when you go in without telegraphing it, because that's what she does, she doesn't really let you know she's in, but suddenly she can hit you. And you try to counter and she's too far. And it's like, how is it possible? How can she be? And I love watching that. You know, I find it, that to me is, it's art. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sound like a casual for just bringing up like the most popular fighter ever to, to make a point. Mm -hmm. But uh, Ali, Muhammad Ali was the, the best at this that I've ever seen because he would actually take the shot and mm -hmm. then just turn his head just enough yep. to where it skimmed. 
It still made contact, yep. but it just skimmed sure. and then and then knock him and then knock you out. Um, yep. I mean, um, oh, what what's his name? Uh, Israel Adesanya did that uh, too with Whitaker. Uh, almost, yep. almost exactly play by play, classic Ali. Um, yep. The only difference is that uh, I, I think um, Israel uh, landed the exact same hook, but then it was a follow up right that got him instead of uh, right. Ali did it a couple times like with just his left because they with don't the see that right. coming. No, of course. Yeah. That to me, though, I could never pull that off because that requires <laughs> such reflexes of such sense. And I don't mean I can pull it off at a high level. I can't pull it off even at a low level. It's just, mm. it's not. M- because most it people requires... could never do that, man. That's, that's but, insane. You know, but whereas that game to me is impossible, the Valentina Shevchenko one, I under- I, at least I understand it. I, am, I can mm-hmm. see how I could do it. I'm not saying I can ever do it as half as good as she does, but I can see the logic behind it. I can apply it at a low level against low-level opponents because it's like there's a linear progression there, whereas the Ali one is like if you are two millimeter off, you get knocked out. And mm-hmm. you know, the risk reward seems so high that like, how do you <laughs> learn that game without getting knocked out 5,000 times, you know? It's, um, with, well, it. with, her, with her, I think it's, a, it's more, it, it, there's a psychological aspect to it too, because eventually, um, and, and this is what great people who like draw, draw and counter do, is like, if you put yourself just out of range enough yep. times, the guy's going to get pissed, so pissed. And then they're going to come in and they're going to overreach. And that's what you were waiting yep. for. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what she's a master at. But yeah, the alleyway where you actually let them touch, you are rolling. I mean, that's just such a level that I'm like, good for you. I just can't even begin to conceive of it. <laughs> it's a, that's a whole other level. I mean, Ali was at a level where he'd let himself get hit during sparring because he wanted to practice mm-hmm. going through it. Um, right. But you know whether or not he would have done that if we he knew what we knew then about how you know how concussions work that they're yeah. even worse than we thought. I, I, but then again, I think he probably still would have. I mean, he he knew and was around boxers who had the mumbled speech who couldn't really walk right, and he he chose yeah. to do it anyways. That was just part of his um, I, idealism almost that he's going to be a, a he's not. He's a force of nature and you have to, he's like an animal. You have to act within um, your own inclinations. You know, a, a, a cheetah is going to go fast. Ali is going to be the best regardless of what it takes um, and regardless of I, the sacrifices. I guess that brings a question that applies, of course, to people who do combat sports at a high level, but also probably we can extend it to lower level and martial arts, even non-combat sports. Why? You know, because there's clearly <laughs> the, the time invest. Forget, never mind the damage that you take if you do combat sports at a high level, where, of course, there's, as you, never mind if you're talking striking, where you're taking brain damage, where it's, you know, doesn't get any worse. But mm-hmm. even, you know, the casual person who trains jujitsu two, three times a week, you still take damage to your body that over years start accumulating. So you're taking physical damage. And of course, you're investing a hell of a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Clearly, there has to be a reward that makes it all worth it. Because people, most people are not complete idiots where they realize that what they are paying. They realize that they are paying a price for this stuff. And yet, they want to do it anyway. What do you think is the appeal of, uh, of martial arts? You know, why do so well, many of it, us do it? That, there's so many good answers to that. But when you, like you said, when you get down, down to it, 
it, you're taking a lot of damage and you're, you're learning the art of how to hurt someone. Um, and a lot of people uh, come into that art with the wrong reasons. Like, why do you want to hurt someone? And their, their answer is, it makes me feel powerful. Um, sure. And that, that can be a, a good reason in the context of like, if you're into competition, you know, sure. if it, so, so, so you want to prove you're the best at what you do. I think, I think there's, there's, you know, that could be seen as some kind of higher ideal of, of, um, of being the best at the art that you love. Um, and then there are people who are just like, no, I just like the feeling when my fist connects with the nose and then the guy doesn't sure. like, you know, there's those, those people too. Um, for, for me, I, uh, this is going to sound messed up, but when I'm, I'm sparring, especially when I'm fighting, which is one of the reasons that, you know, I've been in street fights, but I've never had an amateur or professional battle. One of the reasons I don't is because I just feel so alive, like, like mm -hmm. closer. It's almost, it's almost spiritual. It's closer to, um, uh, that, I mean, I don't believe in, in God as a, like, you know, archaic form of whatever, but, mm -hmm. um, spiritually it's, you know, in this context, it, it gets me closer to, to God. It feels like, um, mm -hmm. and, uh, and I don't know if that's some kind of weird gambling addiction personality that I have because my family's full of addicts, or I don't know if that's some kind of actual higher, um, thing that, that, that everyone should be partaking in these, these risks to test themselves more often do you um, think uh, is it the adrenaline is it the risk is it the intensity of it all what do you think is that stuff that makes you feel it, it so doesn't alive feel, it doesn't fit it doesn't feel like that for me i'm first i'm sure for some uh -huh. people it does but like i don't i don't like many high adrenaline activities um okay i, I wouldn't you know i would i would never uh bungee jump or skydive or any of that but i think it's i think it's testing myself i think it's mm. um i think it's that i'm it's the, it's the present, it's the presence. It's the being present to one moment and actively engaged in this game that has real consequences. Um, right. Makes, makes me feel, it's not the fact that I could get hurt per se, but it's, it's the fact that the possibility is there. And so both of you are just trying your best to, to show that you're more skillful or that you're stronger than the other person. Um, and uh, I like, I don't know, how that what that says about me but it feel it feels very very human like this is something that is normal whether whether this is like something that is part of our better angels and and can be or whether this is something that's demonic um you know in f philosophical context i'm talking about here um I, I i don't know i just know how it makes me feel and i know that i that it's something it's a feeling i can get without hurting the other person or without them hurting me it's something that could happen in a controlled environment and I'll feel basically the same. Right. That makes sense. That's a good one. I like that. Yeah, it's because uh, it's so strange when you stop to think about it. You it know? is. It's, You're learning uh, how to hurt people. It's, you know? uh, yeah, sometimes when I'm watching fights, I'm like, why do I like this stuff again? Why am I watching? Because, you know, you well, have the well, what moment. What is it for of... you, though? I, like, I, I gave a way too long answer. What, what no, is it? no, what, no. What is it? I what like it. it. I'm, I'm long-winded and I give lots of answers. So I could go on mm -hmm. for a long, long time because there are probably many different ones who are all through. Well, I'm curious. Um, I want you to go on. Well, I think what like, is it for you? I mean, on one level in terms of personality, I think is I grew up as an only child, reading a lot, spending a lot of time in my head to entertain myself, just making up story, imagination, chatting, mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. So I have that, st that part fairly well mastered i'm comfortable in it but i'm also there's uh, i always felt growing up this bit of um 
disassociation, if that's even a word, between my kind of inner world and the outside world, where I could have this, uh, all this stuff happening inside, and then I may not always be as comfortable in the three-dimensional world. In, uh, and so having something that makes me comfortable in, uh, in a high-stress conflict situation, where, you know, if you can become comfortable in that situation, then it becomes pretty easy to become comfortable anywhere else. Mm. That fascinated me. And also it fascinated me in a way to bring balance to this nerdier, more intellectual, more imaginative side of my personality. I feel like if that's all I ever do, I felt off balance. I felt like something was missing. Like I can, then the only people I can talk to are people who share that same type of mindset. Mm. Whereas uh, something like martial arts speak like an entirely different language. And so to me, it's like learning a new language where now I can talk to and relate on a very primal level to people that may not relate at all to my other nerdier side, mm. but I can have this other thing that I can, I can use to relate to people, to communicate. to. Uh, and I felt that in general, it just makes me, to me, like, that's what interests me about life in general. I, I tend to be hostile to specialization to the idea of you find one thing that you get mm. good at and that's all you ever do. I like the idea of becoming good at many different things hmm. because at the end of the day, life speaks many different languages. And so I want to be able to be comfortable in many of them. And, and so I, th I really felt like it was a, a balancing act for my personality. It made me, and not even just because I had an element that I don't have. It's not just, oh, I can also take care of myself physically or do this thing or do, even at the thing that I'm supposedly good at, even at writing or intellectually, I feel that I'm better at it because of my ability to speak a secondary language or a third language or something else, mm -hmm. because it adds a dimension even to the intellectual stuff at that point. It, it's not so intellectual and nerdy. Even when I'm writing, there's something that comes through that may not come through when I not the martial arts or I not engage in physical practices. And so I feel um, makes life more complete. Martial arts specifically, I really think it's about conflict. You know, mm -hmm. the whole game with conflict as uh, Few people are naturally comfortable with conflict. And if you are, it's usually because you had a really terrible childhood <laughs> and you learned how to relax while horrible things were happening around you nonstop. Mm -hmm. So I think learning how to be, to at least not be terrified by something that just naturally is fairly terrifying is, uh, is a good thing. Is allows you to relax and be less uh, prone to fear in day-to-day -day life. I can relate so much to what you said about having multiple different things and them all um, impacting each other um, in, in different ways. That was for for a long time. Um, I had it was like a huge problem in my life that I could not commit to to any one thing um, at the same because I, I, if just off the top of my head, um, things I love, martial arts, uh, music, I play, I play guitar. Um, uh, I love, I love to write all kinds of other, you know, all kinds of things. Mm -hmm. Um, I love to, I love to draw. Um, that, that's just off the top of my head. They're, they're like a bunch. Oh, I love playing chess. Um, they're, they're, they're like probably 10 things 
Um, but those are the, those are the main five. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, for so much of my life, I was just all over the place. Um, but the, the, the book that kind of, um, and I think you actually mentioned this book in, in, the, in the lectures, the book that kind of changed my, my perspective and my viewpoint towards anything that I didn't know till I heard, uh, heard you reference it was, was like really, really kind of Taoist uh, is uh, Mastery by Robert Greene. Oh yeah, um, yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, such, a, such a great book. I read that and the first thing it did is, is dispel the notion for me that you could, um, you could get really good at something just by being naturally good at it. Yeah, um, no, that's not how it works, right? No, you not, can have a talent. Yeah. Talent helps. Talent goes a long way, but, you know, it eventually stops. <laughs> well, I just, I just been, been kind of like stumbling through my, my life up until that point. So, so that book really convinced me like, okay, just pick three things and then ignore the rest for a little bit. Um, right. But the, the, the other part I was talking about, like, A, you need to have some kind of natural cl- inclination if you're ever going to be sure. really good at it. You need to really love it. Yep. Um, and then at the end, he talks about uh, reverting back to the childlike mind, like mm-hmm. we were talking about before with the, you know, punch is just a punch until it wasn't. And then it, yep. then it was just a, a punch again. And what, what I decided to do, um, I was gonna, what, what, what ended, th- this is kind of actually, I've kind of diverted here into the story of, of how um, my, my channel came to be. Um, because I, had decided, I think I was like 28 or something. And I'm like, my life, you know, has, has gone nowhere so far. I, I'm ha- I mean, I was happy teaching gymnastics and martial arts. You know, I could have done that for a long time, but I'm like, I, you know, I, I need to start taking, getting a little bit more money or I'm never going to be able to do anything that I want, like buy my mm-hmm. own house, that kind of thing. Um, so I decided like, I'm going to go after three things I really love. Um, if I hit 30 and I haven't done any of them, then I'll teach myself how to program, which I hate, but I can do and make some good money but I'm going to go after these three things. And then I decided I was just going to kind of continue and ignore the two things that weren't working out as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so I tried, I tried teaching martial arts classes. I tried um, music and then I even tried stand-up comedy. I, I tried, I tried like a bunch of different things. And then what was paying off was the martial arts. And then I decided to, to, to redo it again. I'm like, okay, so martial arts is paying off. Let's try three things. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of them was YouTube. Right. And, and then that started making more money than the classes. And I, I was actually, and I actually right. liked it more. And then I'm like, okay, I've got this one kind of video. Let's try three things. Of course. And then, and then, and then so it, it, the, I started thinking of it like growing a, like growing a tree. Like you get the one branch that you get three yep. branches. One of them's working. You prune off the other two. Yep. You get the three branches. One of them's working. You prune off the other two. Um, which, which now that I know what I know, seems very Taoist to me. Um, sure. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's a good thing. I like that you mentioned three because, you know, it's easy for people to then say, I want to do 15 things. It's like, yeah, I do too, but it's not <laughs> going to happen because there are 24 hours in a day. And we all want to be the playboy rock star, super genius, you know, whatever the heck. Most people don't get to be one of those. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's like, never mind that most people can get one. So 15 may be too much. One is too little because it's like, man, there's more than life. Whatever you mm-hmm. pick, one thing is like, come on, there's more to it. There's more interesting stuff out there. So I like the idea of like two, three, four, somewhere in the neighborhood where is more than one, but not so much as to be overwhelming. To where you're isolated. Yeah. You don't want to isolate yourself either and be the, the weirdo who's into like just one thing. Yeah. You know, you need, you need, just like you need different kinds of friends, you need different kinds of hobbies, you need different kinds of passions. 
And that's one thing that I always find funny about social media where, you know, maybe you know somebody from the one activity that you have in common mm-hmm. and you're like, oh, that's cool. Let me see what else is up with them. And then you look at their social media and everything in their life revolves around that one activity. And you're like, Jesus Christ, I like that one activity, but it's not all that. I mean, there's more to life, man. Get out sometime. It's like- my, my experience is that like I'll meet a martial artist and then we'll hit it off great. And I'm like, what an intelligent, nice yeah. person. And then I see their social media as like, Jesus Christ, you're, you're insane. Yeah. You're made it. You believe in all these, uh, you know, you believe the, uh, in all these weird conspiracy theories. Um, uh, my wife is, uh, is DACA, which, uh, uh-huh. it, yeah. It's, okay. So you know what that is. I usually have to explain to people as uh, like the, the guys posting like anti DACA stuff. Uh, like you know, uh, j- just just kick all of them out. It's like, yeah, Jesus, yeah. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, especially this past year, is not social media has lifted a veil on the martial art world. You know, the kind of conversation we've been having right now, where we can get really idealistic about, mm. you know, martial art as can do this and do and that for your personality, and you can grow as a human being. And la 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 la. And then you look at a lot of people, and you're like. Oh, Jesus, that really didn't work out well that way. You know, I like, never mind some top stars of the various combat sports, but even more pathetic when it's at a more amateurish level, but it doesn't really change. It's just like when you start, you know, when half of your posts are about how you should, we should kill all the homeless. And uh, it's just like, Jesus, man, you got serious issues. Maybe, maybe. Well, it used to be you walk into a martial arts gym and then, um, I mean, the downside was a lot of it didn't, you know, you've got a lot of McDojos that didn't work in real life. Mm-hmm. Um, not all of them, but the, the upside was that whenever, if you walked into a martial arts gym, you were experiencing a new culture. Oh yeah. You weren't, you weren't just experiencing, you know, a, a way to fight. You were forced to being introduced to a way of be, behaving that you weren't used to. Whether you liked it or not, didn't really matter. Yep. What, what mattered is, is that you were um, opening your eyes to new cultures and new experience. And, and more than anything, they taught philosophy. And there's been, um, there's been this shift. And once again, it's great that there will be, there are much fewer McDojos that try to teach you, you know, secret five point sure. art technique, but, of course. but on, the, on the other hand, since MMA has kind of taken over the moniker of martial arts, mm-hmm. um, you're, you're getting a whole new type of person yeah. interested in the martial arts who just wants, they just want the power and there's no philosophy taught of when or how or why, or any of the essential questions that come with learning how to hurt someone. Sure. Yeah, and I think it's a, it's a double problem because on one end, you have the combat sport uh, meathead stereotype, which unfortunately is true more often than I would like to admit. Mm-hmm. And then on the other end, you have the, the many traditional martial art guys who hide behind this sort of fake uh, fortune cookie spirituality. Mm-hmm. So not only their quote-unquote spirituality is crap and it usually yep. hides a giant ego and on top of it their fighting skills suck and so yeah it's they, like, you, you know you yeah you can't you can't they never show off their skills in class because you know that's beneath them it's not yeah they can't, it's not because they, they've been eating too many burgers for 30 years and then right you know, yeah and so it's a, it's a, again, it's a delicate balance, right? It's like, because <laughs> uh, yeah, we can say, you know, it would be great to have martial arts where having a more enlightened approach in terms of why we do it, in terms of a philosophy behind it and all of that. But, you know, in the hands of a good person, that become a fantastic dojo where you go train and, you know, 
phenomenal for everybody. You give the same recipe in the hands of a less than great person and suddenly it's superficial crap where you got manipulated through pretty words because this guy mm-hmm. needs to feed his ego. And I've seen plenty of that as well. And so it's not, it would be so nice if it was as easy as saying, oh, you know, the combat sport guys need to bring back some more philosophy and stuff. Is who's doing it? Because, you know, I've seen, I'm sure you have seen too, you, you go into what people imagine as the least philosophical inclined thing. You walk into some old school boxing gym Mm-hmm. And the guys there are not going to be like Confucius says, but sometimes there are some guys who are really smart, really nice, really good people, and they can communicate the philosophy of life through their action every day. That is brilliant. And I know so exactly you what you're talking about. It's like, it's like they say one sentence and that one sentence encompasses um, so much meaning. Yep. Even though it's not eloquently said. Um, sure. Like, like I, I, was, I was beating myself up for something one time and, and, uh, and this guy goes, well, you don't know what you don't know. And it just, it just that resonated right. with me. Like, like, yeah, I didn't, I didn't know. Why am I beating myself up? I didn't, I didn't know, yeah. you know, it was, it was an accident. Just, just little things like, like that, where the, there's that kind of wisdom pres, presence, but it's not packaged up in all this kind of mystical bullshit. And I think that's the other problem with dogma that, you know, we think that we found the perfect solution. So it's like, oh, you need to balance fighting skill with spirituality, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, that's a nice recipe. But mm-hmm. in, the hands of, in the hands of person A, it's phenomenal. In the hands of person B, it's complete crap. And why? It's the same thing. It's like, no, because it's not the same human being. And unfortunately, it's that talent, that ability to adapt a principle to real day-to-day life, to every moment that makes all the difference in the world. Mm-hmm. And that stuff that is very hard to teach. You know, it's like, how do you, it's almost like, I feel like a Socratic dialogue, right? It's like, how do you teach uh, virtue, quote unquote? I hate the word virtue, but you know what I'm saying. It's mm-hmm. like, that's how they express themselves. How do you teach how do you teach how to be a good human being? You know, it's, you can put all the elements there, but at the end of the day, you're not really, it's not that you add A plus B plus C and suddenly you have a good human being. It's like, those are important pieces of the recipe, but there's some magic that has to happen that cannot really be taught. Hmm. And, uh, and I think, again, it's a, it's a fine line there too, because if you don't teach at all A, B, and C, then it's very unlikely you'll have a good human being. Yeah. But just because you teach A, B, and C doesn't ensure the outcome either. There's something else that's beyond the formula, that's beyond the recipe, that's going to make it great or not. Yeah. And, um, you, could, you could bring the horse to water, but you can't make it drink. But you yep. still have to bring the horse to water. Oh, yeah. Or it'll never drink. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to wander the countryside dying of thirst. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly, man. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. So I think the moral of the story is life is damn complicated. And, I, think uh, that's what we, I think that's what we solved here tonight. Yeah, good yeah. luck with that because it's like a game of millimeters where if you are off by this much, then you're really off and you thought you never got it and you are this far away from a perfect balance. Mm. So it's um, tricky business, my man. Indeed. And anything else you want to throw out there before we wrap things up? Uh, no, this was really super fun. Um, I'm happy we did this and I hope everyone enjoyed listening. And no meteor struck the globe. So, you know, yes. we actually finished. We're about to press end on the recording. So <laughs> all, if we survive a few more seconds, then we're good. 
Beautiful. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, it is a wrap. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for supporting the show. I wish you all an extremely good day. A day filled with panettone, Nutella, all sort of sexy, sweaty, hot things. And uh, yeah, so it's my way of saying have a good day. Sweet. D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I Good shit. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. And so ends another awesome episode of the Drunken Dows Podcast. Be sure to keep your ears peeled for another mind-expanding episode coming soon. We'll be tweeting you as they come out. You can keep track of Daniele at dbolelli. That's D-B-O-L-E-L-L-I. And you can find me on Twitter at Richimon1. R-I-C-H-I-M-O-N and the numeral one. We'll see you all soon. Woo! No, you don't. In questo caso, in questo caso, le provvidenza di Dio. Duncan showed you the way, eh? Oh man, isn't that scary to think? Nice. So don't kill people, do that instead. <laughs> this was great, fucking awesome. And I love this conversation. I have nothing against chicken other than the fact that they are ugly and weird and strange. We've been you having know, a great hour nice. here. Dun, dun, dun. I completely got lost. Are we doing the outro or the intro? We're right? outro. Oh, we're outro. Okay, sorry. So that's. <laughs> So let's continue. Did you ever see the movie Tombstone with uh, Val Kilmer and... Uh, uh, your accent, it just... Whatever that movie is you were trying to tell me about... Can you translate for me, please? I believe the word was Tombstone. Yeah, that one, exactly. <laughs> just as I was saying, you know, Tombstone. <laughs> now, most everybody thought... <coughs> Sorry. We'll, <coughs> we'll do a cut on there. Or not. That was something else. <laughs> no, that's maybe too powerful. <laughs> What do I have to do? One day the rod shall teach you. Get back to work. Funky. Podcasting. It's like radio, but you can cuss. I'm 50 now. Can you fucking believe that? <laughs> I was melancholy about it for like a good month. Like, uh. But I think I was more worried about dying at 49. <laughs> <laughs> so making it to 50. Making it to 50 is like, fuck it. I think Louis C.K. may be a monster, but he had a great line. No one, there's no candlelight vigils for somebody over 50. <laughs> he had his chance.